Hello and welcome to the Monash University Perioptive Medicine podcast series. My name is Jonathan Nicholson and today we are discussing the perioptive journey of patients who present to the emergency department requiring an emergency laparotomy. It's an important patient group because it is relatively common and it carries a high risk of perioptive complications and mortality. Here in Australia and New Zealand, there has recently started a large national quality assurance project, which measures the mortality and it looks at the various steps in that patient journey for someone who goes on to have the emergency laparotomy. The aim of this is to make the presentation to the emergency department with an acute abdomen as efficient as it would be as if someone presents with an ST elevation myocardial infarction. So to discuss this project, I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Tom Poulton. Tom is an anaesthetist with an interest in perioptive medicine. He was a research fellow at the UK National Institute of Academic and Academic Anesthesia uh, Health Services Research Centre, uh, where he was involved in the UK National Emergency Laparotomy Audit, which is being replicated here with Anzila, the Australia and New Zealand Emergency Laparotomy Audit. So welcome, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me. With um, your experience uh, with the NILA project in the UK, um, can you just start out by explaining why there was the drive to undertake such a large-scale audit? So I think um, patients coming in for an emergency laparotomy is a very broad group. It's not like fractured neck of femur where there is a defined injury and there is a defined set of operations that uh, would be carried out in order to treat it. There's a broad number of reasons why somebody may present needing an emergency laparotomy and mm-hmm. a, a wide range of potential surgical procedures that would be carried out. But what was recognised was that this was a, a high-risk surgical cohort. Emergency laparotomy is probably one of the most commonly performed major high-risk emergency surgical mm-hmm. procedures carried out in most hospitals around the world. Yep. And that group has a very high mortality rate. And I think it was recognised that through work pressures, the pressures to do elective surgery, emergency patients weren't always being given the priority that they needed. Mm-hmm. And also there wasn't, there weren't clear pathways around how those patients were cared for. And as patients coming in with acute STEMIs, strokes were being streamlined through pathways, these patients would often languish somewhere in the middle of an emergency surgical list right. and wouldn't always be given the priority that they deserved. Okay. So there'd been a lot of work leading up to the launch of NILA in mm-hmm. terms of demonstrating the problem and demonstrating the need for a project like this. And then the funding came through um, uh, basically an offshoot of, of, of government in order to set up this project that mm-hmm. was put out to tender. And uh, uh, the Royal College of Anaesthetists in the UK won the bid to to run this audit initially as a five-year project, mm-hmm. and it's been extended for another five years, and it's currently in year six or seven of its data collection. Okay. Um, so you're right, it is obviously a common presentation into most hospitals. Um, when undertaking the audit, uh, and, and year on year, I guess, what were the key findings that you were uh, coming across, um, and uh, was there any change to those to outcomes during the time that you were uh, carrying out the audit project? So I think one of the the quite unique things about NILA is that it captures a, a, a lot of data about mm-hmm. the, the the quality of care that patients get during during their admission. So there were two. Um, snapshot audits looking at the structures of the hospitals in which patients were being treated so we have a good sense of how those hospitals are set up and configure their services and what sort of facilities they have to provide care Mm -hmm. and then every patient that comes through that that actually undergoes surgery a lot of information about the processes of care that were applied to that patient during the course of the the build-up to surgery so Mm -hmm. things like were they assessed that 
the the metrics that Neela measures against, Neela wasn't in a position to set those metrics itself. So some work was done before it started to look at what the the best available standards were set by other august bodies. Mm. But the sort of metrics that they were aud- auditing against were uh, timeliness of senior surgical opinion, surgical de- uh, senior decision maker input in the decision to operate, timeliness of arrival into the operating theatre, mm-hmm. whether or not a, a CT was done beforehand and whether that was reported by a consultant radiologist, presence of a consultant surgeon and consultant anaesthetist in theatre, whether high-risk patients were being admitted to critical care post-operatively and whether elderly patients were, were seen by geriatricians as part of the, the routine post-op care. Yeah. And what we found was that there are wide variations both within and between hospitals in how well all of those standards are met. And somewhere a hospital is doing some of those things well, but not necessarily for all patients. And it's not necessarily doing all things well all the time. Mm -hmm. And a big part of of this work in the UK more broadly was trying to look at those causes for unwarranted variation and see what could be done to improve care across the board for everybody. Mm. Okay. So I'm interested to pick up on what you were saying about the steps uh, that each hospital are measured upon. Um, How was it decided upon that these were the Uh, particular steps that ought to be measured Um, because given that it's difficult to provide uh, clear evidence that each one of those individual steps has a benefit to overall outcome how is it decided that uh, those measures that were put in place were the ones that ought to be sort of the standard as it were so these were all derived from various national guidelines that were available at Mm -hmm. the time NILA was being developed Um, and it was specifically not within Neela's remit initially to, to say what those standards should be. So it was taking policy documents from the Royal College of Surgeons and, 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 and other organisations with, a, with, a, with skin in the game in terms of how they felt patients should be cared for. Okay, yeah. But what Neela has been able to do is using this data, it is feeding back on the redevelopment of, of those standards. So uh, college documents that are now being written are using Neela data in order to refine exactly what those standards should be. Right. Um, but Neela took the, the, the best available evidence-based standards that were published uh, in terms of how these patients should be, should be being managed according to the professionals involved. Yeah. Okay, so I guess... Neela was really the quality assurance part of this project. And then the quality improvement part of the project was a trial that I understand was run concurrently, uh, the EPOC trial, um, which was published in The Lancet in April this year. Um, Can you just briefly outline what the interventions were uh, with the EPOC trial and and what the results were of that? Yeah, so Neela was originally uh, commissioned as a a quality assurance audit, um, but it always had a a quality improvement element from the start. Mm. And then as part of the recommission after five years, that quality improvement uh, focus has been been elevated in in, in importance. Um, EPOC tapped into NILA data, but was led by a separate team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were looking at, at whether a bundle of interventions uh, introduced as part of a quality improvement project could affect outcome. And what they were looking at was, the primary out- end point was 90-day mortality, but they also reported on 180-day mortality, um, unplanned readmissions, and length of stay. Um, and they did this as uh, as a, a step wedge cluster cluster randomised trial. So it was done in geographical clusters, mm-hmm. uh, fifteen of them across the UK. And they were introduced. Uh, they 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 began implementing the quality improvement bundle at five week intervals. Mm-hmm. So each hospital was effectively acting as its own control um, to try and rather than just a simple before and after quality improvement project to try and tease out some of that causality in terms of whether 
these things are actually making the difference. Okay. Um, what they found was that overall 90-day mortality uh, in, in both the, um, the, the, the control arm and the intervention arm was around 16% at mm -hmm. 90 days, so a, a high 90-day mortality rate. Um, and this was coming from just under 16,000 patients across 93 hospitals across the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, they didn't find any real difference uh, in, in any of those outcomes based on, on the intervention. The only thing they did find was one of their secondary outcomes, which was length of stay. Statistically significant, but actually it was a fraction of a day, so not clinically meaningful. Right, okay. Um, and so obviously with the uh, NILA project, that they were initially showing that there was potential reduction in length of stay and also mortality uh, with the year on year. But I guess you wouldn't say that that's a rigorous a sort of assessment of causality. Is there any explanation as to why that mortality rate had dropped year on year in the NILA study, but not necessarily uh, seen in EPOC? Yeah, so EPOC ran for 85 weeks, um, starting uh, running from 2014 into 2015. And obviously, NILA has been going for, for longer than that. And it has shown year-on-year um, -year reduction in the crude observed mortality rate of patients mm -hmm. undergoing emergency laparotomy. But that is in the context of generally improving standards, generally reducing mortality uh, within this population. And we've also noticed some slight shifts in the, uh, the, the risk profiles of patients undergoing surgery. And because NILA only collects data on patients that actually have an emergency laparotomy, we don't know anything about the patients that come in and are uh, would potentially need an emergency laparotomy but are not getting surgery because they're felt to be too high risk. Right. And whether because of this data is being collected and, and, and published publicly, mm -hmm. uh, people are being a little bit more mindful on, on who they choose to operate on, who they choose not to operate on. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a potential issue. Those shifting demographics could potentially explain some of the difference. But as you say, NILA uh, is just reporting observed mortality rates. Uh, it isn't uh, able to attribute causality to any of the changes that it's seen. Mm -hmm. So I guess the enthusiasts for uh, quality improvement projects and quality assurance would have been, I guess, a bit disappointed to see that there was actually no uh, improvement with such a, uh, a well-organized and well-structured QI uh, project. I, what, what do we take out from it? Do we say that actually that we just have to admit that they're hard to establish, that they're, that they're time and resource heavy to sustain? Um, are they worth trying to roll out across centres throughout a nation? Um, or is it something that's only really possible when you have a high resource centre? So if you look at the way EPOC as a study was organized, um, the technicalities of, of how its intervention was rolled out was done successfully mm -hmm. in terms of the step wedge cluster randomized design. But what they were asking hospitals to do, the, the quality improvement bundle that they were instituting was actually very complicated. Mm -hmm. So it was a 37-point bundle, uh, and they described a, a, a hard core of, of key interventions and then a soft periphery of other interventions. But if you actually look at, at how well hospitals were actually able to implement those, those, uh, those measures, um, only 11 out of the 37 processes were actually the focus of effort in more than 50% of hospitals. Uh, and of those, eight of the 11 were some of the key 10 measures that they, were, they thought were important. Um, and in terms of how the quality improvement was actually implemented, um, they suggested a... a, a 
six different quality improvement strategies that could be employed during the implementation phase. And, and then only half of hospitals use five or six of those measures to actually right. implement the changes. So um, one of the things that they've gone back and done, as well as reporting the findings from the study, is do an ethnographic evaluation of, of how the study was conducted and mm. implemented. And that's found that a lot of the barriers to actually implementing the the bundle in real life in in hospitals was down to time, money, and managerial support Mm -hmm. in in a lot of cases. So this was being led by enthusiasts, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily with any much in the way of additional funding, often without any additional time in their working week. Um, And a lot of people cited that while the clinicians were keen to engage, there wasn't always the the managerial backing in terms of providing additional resources to be able to do that work. Mm. So in terms of now, what lessons can we take uh, as we're about to embark upon Anzila? um, How can we... Uh, once we've initiated the quality assurance part of Anzila and measuring what our mortality rates are in Australia and New Zealand, um, what would you recommend us to to do going forward if there was a high mortality rate in terms of establishing an improvement in, in care for those patients? So separate to EPOC, there have actually been a couple of other trials that have, have used uh, NILA data or similar, uh, the ELPQUIC study and the Emergency Laparotomy Collaborative. And these studies were both on, on, on slightly smaller scales, although the, the ELC, the Emergency Laparotomy Collaborative, was, was a similar number of patients. Um, they had a much simpler bundle, five mm-hmm. or six interventions. And they also had much more of a, a network organization and, and collaboration between hospitals in mind. Um, it wasn't conducted as a formal randomized control control trial. It's therefore at risk of certain biases because it was more of a simple sort of before and after implementation of an improvement bundle. Yep. But they did show uh, differences in, in the endpoints that they were choosing to, to look at. Um, so I think that implementing a, a, a simpler bundle um, targeted at areas where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck mm-hmm. um, and in a way that encourages cooperation and collaboration between hospitals in order to reinforce those good practices um, is, is probably one way of doing it. A couple of caveats in terms of how the uh, the results for those other two studies should be interpreted. Um, they based their risk adjustment on uh, PPOSM score, which mm-hmm. NILA data has shown um, it tends to overpredict at higher risk values. So if you're using that for your risk adjustment, um, if, if your risk model is overpredicting risk, you're going to come out looking better than perhaps you are. So that's not necessarily to say that there, there isn't uh, an effect from those studies, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a potential weakness um, in, in, in the methodology. Um, but I think the, the, the focus on on fewer uh, key metrics uh, and in allowing hospitals and the clinicians within to have the, the time and resources needed to actually see those through mm. is probably the, the, the biggest point. And I guess the um, quality improvement projects that have been done uh, across many hospitals recently is with regards to Im- implementing ERAS pathways. Um, you always wonder whether with the small studies producing um, data around certain hospitals' ERAS pathways that there is some bias because the person who's writing the the, the study is often the person who's driven it. Um, But on a large scale, it does appear that ERAS is working well. Is there anything that you can cite to see, well, there's a difference with ERAS uh, compared to what we've done with uh, EPOC uh, to say, well, why has ERAS been so successful in reducing complications uh, in that setting? So I think because emergency laparotomy is such a heterogeneous population and it's 
unplanned surgery. It's uh, there are big differences in 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 urgency, in acuity. Um, they are a much more complicated group of patients to try and mm-hmm. pin down to a single pathway. And I think part of what's come out of a lot of the quality improvement work is that how to implement quality improvement and what to focus on is very much site-specific. So mm-hmm. there are there can be global aims in terms of improving outcomes and reducing mortality mm-hmm. and reducing length of stay. There can be recommendations on, on what good care looks like. Um, but every hospital is unique in the, term, yeah. in the challenges that it faces, how it delivers its care, how it is organized, the staffing that it has available. So exactly how to implement the pathways in order to achieve that and what the the deficits are in any one hospital and therefore what needs to be focused on to drive those improvements mm-hmm. is going to vary site to site. So I think collecting national data is really important for the big picture, but I think quality improvement needs to be targeted to specific hospitals and the way they run. Yeah, that's fantastic. Excellent. Well, I mean, that really uh, sort of highlights where perioperative medicine comes into uh, its importance is really trying to, uh, I guess... Um, make the project specific to your hospital and that's why it's so important to have uh, projects uh, unique to the hospital Um, and it's exciting for us going forward with Anzila on the horizon our real first national audit that's going to be embarked upon uh, and hopefully the first of many to improve patient care so Tom thanks very much indeed for joining us today I think it's been a really good insight into what's been done in the UK and something that will be replicated here in Australia yeah fingers crossed thank you very much thank you